Every journey begins with a single step. For many, the first step is the greatest challenge. Yet for all, the obstacles, the doubt, and conviction teach us about ourselves. It's these moments in life, a test of our abilities, our mind, when we don't know, but we still proceed. Driven by the unspoken, but ignited by the obsession that yields some of life's greatest lessons and rewards. Join me as we explore incredible stories of leaders forging industries, enterprises, and ultimately, themselves. I'm your host, Adam Geary, and welcome to Capital Class. Let's begin. Classmates, welcome to today's show. If you're like me, of a certain age. You can likely recall a time when it was acceptable to say, some kids don't make it. This mantra of not everyone finishing high school was possible when an economy that had adequate slots for roles and jobs that were not automated already. However, the last 20 years of innovation paired with offshoring, inflation, housing crisis has placed a greater emphasis on earning a skill, trade, or degree. Yet a system designed to teach all is often not capable of tailoring to students with unique situations and needs. Students with children, students who need to support their family, working, students with big potential and unique learning needs. On today's episode of Capital Class, we're joined by Skip Hansen, co-founder and president of Lifelong Learning and Learn for Life a national nonprofit with 100 locations committed to helping students earn a diploma and thrive in the 21st century. Skip, welcome to Capital Class. Thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here, Adam. I'm uh, looking forward to this for a few weeks here. I can't wait to talk about what we do. You know, Skip, this is an interesting topic for me. I grew up in a, I like to call periwinkle blue community, right? White collar, blue collars. And I vividly remember people dropping out of high school, you know, such and such person just didn't show up anymore. And in those days, uh, you could still kind of make it right. And, and, and that's, I'm only, I graduated in 2004, right? This is not 50 years ago. Um, and what we know now, like the lifetime trajectory of that student is perilous. I mean, it's, it's, annualized earnings of $20,000 a year, $360,000 in lifetime earnings behind someone who just earns a high school diploma. But when I was in school, programs like yours, frankly, didn't exist. Can you take us like, take us behind the scenes of like, what's an average student? I I think there's probably a lot of perception about what, what that student really is. And I think you're well positioned to like, who, who do you serve? It's a great question. I, you know, we didn't get into this to actually graduate students. We got into this to get them caught back up on credits and go back to the high schools they were originally in. And uh, 20 years ago when we started this and uh, the first uh, first school we started uh, just blew up from what we thought was going to be 50 kids to 300 in the first couple of years. And what we realized was there were just more kids dropping out than either the local school district even knew about, right? Because we don't do a good job in data in this in a, in a lot of the states um, in terms of tracking. 
Um, but just the, the number of students with adult responsibilities that, um, you know, that just couldn't keep coming into school. A great example, one of our uh, larger population of students, a pregnant teen or a young man who gets a girl pregnant, right? 14, 15 years old, might drop out of school, used to have places for pregnant teens in schools when I went to school, when you went to school. And nowadays, uh, with the bullying, the shaming, the lack of resources, uh, for a pregnant teen on campus, the bathroom situations, you name it, these young girls drop out. They might have even been making good grades, and uh, their box when they dropped out was the sophomore box, right? This boxes that we have before boxes. And she takes nine months, uh, you know, 10 months to have a baby and wants to get back into school. And when she comes back, the box that she was in is now this junior box, and, and uh, the box they tell her she has to go to is this other box called a continuation school which is where they sent all the bad kids when I went to school, right? And mm. they typically didn't always have the best teachers over there, probably in a trailer uh, on the back end of the campus and um, in many situations. And so she doesn't want to go there. The young man who got her pregnant had to go get a job uh, working at the tire store uh, Monday through Friday from you know 8 to 2 and can't attend a traditional school. And so the, the, the constant theme that we got from these kids was a time problem. They had a time problem. They could not attend uh, Monday through Friday, five days a week. Um, and so we needed to create a school that looked like what I went to college in, right? When I went to college, I had to work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I put all my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays to help my parents pay for college. But I was able to go to college, pay for my college, because I could set my classes up to to for me to able to afford it. And that's exactly what we tried to build at Learn for Life. So the average student that comes to us is 50 to 70 credits, um, depending on your credit system, or I would say more than 40% behind in their process to graduate, um, and uh, is 17 and a half years old. And these are kids that, um, you know, the, the system either failed them, didn't work for them, or for whatever reason, they got off track, and there's so many things that get you off track, including, and we'll have a long discussion about it, uh, about COVID, uh, and how it affects, is going to affect the dropout rate coming forward. But but our students are typically uh, uh, 17 and a half. Uh, we uh, have a large population of African American uh, and Latinos in our schools. Uh, we currently, right now, are serving, I was just in Riverside, California, a giant population of Guatemalans, Chaldeans. Uh, Ukrainians uh, coming in with no language uh, skills, and our, we have to hire at our schools uh, people who speak the language, and and so that's what the the population looks like as we sit here today. I've got thirty seven thousand students currently enrolled in that age group, somewhere in seven states, and um, again trying to grow into other states because they need us desperately. What would you say is a misconception about your students? Well, you know. W- we realized right away we had to figure out how to get funded. We would have loved to have just been a nonprofit funded by some state funds, but you know the the charter uh, school um, uh, mechanism that exists for funding schools was the only one that we could find at the time. Right, so uh, charters immediately give a, a a bad name of taking the students the best mm. and the brightest from local school districts. Right, that's the thing that comes to mind immediately when you are in the business of education and you're maybe on one side and you hear that there's a charter school, you think, well, you only take the best. You don't take kids with special needs. Um, and you, uh, you know, you don't, uh, do a good job with, um, with what you do. So 
I immediately wanted to change our name, um, uh, excuse me, our marketing to eliminate the word charter and call ourselves a community school. Um, because in a sense, we cannot actually serve the students we serve without a whole bunch of community partners wrapping around uh, all of our students with all these special needs, including food, clothing, shelter, uh, you name it. So that's probably the biggest misconception. First, we're not for profit. Um, we're a nonprofit. And secondly, although we're a charter school, we take the kids nobody else is actually wanting to serve. You shared a fascinating story with me on another conversation around you're really working hard when you go to a community to find industry and you're placing these students with opportunities essentially to leave your school with a a certificate, a diploma, but a job. Yeah. So, you know, it's not that novel, right? I mean, this has been out there. People do it, but you've, you've kind of embedded it into your model. Can you speak to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I challenge anybody listening to this podcast right now that has not experienced since COVID some form of lack of service at whatever business that you attend because they can't get employees to come back to work. Right? I I I was I just got back from Maui, Lahaina. I went through this the whole horrible thing going out there in Maui. Uh, but prior to the fires, I was sitting in a in a bar in in Hawaii, and they haven't had a waitress in over eleven months. Uh, you know, they have a different reason out there, but that that uh, that problem is existing in pretty much everywhere around me, including where I sit right now in Fresno. Most of the businesses, UPS, Amazon, you name it, they are struggling trying to find employees to come to work. And we have currently 37,000 kids uh, that are 18 years – I say kids, they're adults, 18 years old, that – would love to have those jobs. They just need some some connections with the industry and some skills training. So our entire organization is geared towards two things, getting these kids across the finish line with a high, high school diploma and job and skills training ready for the 21st century workforce. And luckily, we've been able to really get some great partnerships with UPS, some other big organizations uh, that really see the need uh, and the value of what we've got in hand. And the beauty thing is, I don't care what the industry is. You tell me what these kids need to know when they come out of our high school, we'll build it, right? If they need to know this point of sale machine uh, and the normal training at uh, Panera Bakery is, uh, you know, almost a month on the job, just, you know, helping them use a computer on there, we'll buy one of those and put it in our school and train them on it. Um, if they, if Supercuts needs 50, uh, you know, cosmetologists in the area of, uh you know, Palm Beach, you know, let us know. We we will partner with a local cosmetology school, pay for our students to go get their uh, their their degree and move it forward. We have the ability to do it. We just need the businesses to know we exist and that we're willing to partner with them. You've embedded a sense of entrepreneurialism within the institution that you manage. I mean, think about it. You're finding industry you and I have probably attended a dozen conferences in the last year or two where everyone's talking about, we really need to match industry with education. You're like, yeah, obvious. Yeah, and you're I mean, doing it. <laughs> Look, there was a thing called linked learning back in the day. I think uh, it, was, it was like 10 years ago, the linking education with industry. Yeah. Um, my background was GE Capital as an example. We had 50 companies in GE 
from everything from pharmaceuticals to plastics to the engines that we fly on, right? That there was a constant need uh, to try and develop a pipeline, no different than a than any baseball or football team, right? Having a bench ready to go for this next big thing. Um, but the school districts, as you said, have not been able to keep up with that, and they don't look like. Uh, a, a GE think tank, right? They're they're not thinking in terms of business. Boards that manage most school districts are just local people from the from you know wanting to serve on the board. Many of which not on there to help the schools, but their next uh, next job they want to get in politics. And unfortunately, none of that leads to these amazing. Um, uh, and not all cases, I will say, every community is a little different, but not all of them, especially in inner cities lead to these laboratories of innovation mm. that would allow these individuals uh, and students to learn a skill set needed to walk out of their four walls at the end of their senior year and walk into uh, this generation's jobs. And they are changing. Obviously, AI is our next big topic that we are talking about right now. And our kids are super bright. They're social media experts. They are already embedded and the use of most of the tech that's out there. And these companies just need to decide what it is they need and so that we can help them deliver a qualified employee to get to that next stage. You've done a great job of, in many ways, polishing is probably not the right word, but you're giving these kids, like, as I understand it, they're hungry. They want to succeed, right? The, the, the student who comes back to you they just don't fit. It's not that they're not a good fit. It's that the system's designed for everybody. And these students have certain needs. And I think that's really powerful with how you built your business. That These are but for, right? Like, but for what you're doing, where do they go? Where, where if they're not, especially the students were, so you can imagine if we're just barely nicking the bottom of the barrel right now with our, our, we serve about 50,000 a year currently enrolled 30 some thousand, but we see so many kids just coming in and rotating in our schools, graduating, moving on. If, if we're the last stop and we're hitting that many students and yet we're only in less than 5% of most of the communities that we are surrounded by, where are these dropouts going? That's the question, right? I don't know. Well, it doesn't It doesn't take a genius to look at our streets and see the right. homeless population and figure that if we had interviewed 100 homeless people right now, the common denominator factor, I almost guarantee you, is going to be lack of education, lack of knowledge on how to go out there and get it. It isn't that they don't have the resources. It's that they don't have the education. And if we can't fix that problem, COVID is going to send to us because of the third and fourth grade promoting that got done during the entire COVID year, year and a half, I'll call it two years, especially in California. Uh, all those inner cities promoted those students on with, with some very uh, major gaps in their reading and math. And they're going to arrive at their freshman year when they start having to earn credits for the first time, failing out algebra, math, reading, and they're going to sit there by their junior year at 
three times what we've been experiencing over the last 20 years, which has been about a 20% dropout rate in just about every major school district around the country, it's going to be 30 or 40% because they are not going to be able to keep up with it. And we all know the teacher shortage right now is gigantic. So who's going to fill the gaps of having to have, get these kids up to speed? You know, And we're year-round. We do it all summer long. We did about 22,000 kids just for summer school last year because the school districts cannot keep up with the number of students coming back into their classrooms not ready for the work that that's being presented to them and certainly not ready to get on track in order to graduate on time. So it's it's going to be catastrophic unless uh, states like some of these very, um, I would say, uh, progressive states have started to realize by allowing parents to make decisions with some of their, uh, with their opportunity to spend their education dollars in their state and now having industry recognizing that and saying, hey, look, you know, we can create an entire school to solve this problem or an entire program that includes education and uh, job training. And it, listen, it's not all about college, by the way, Adam. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the JCs uh, are fantastic. And, and I'll tell you, a welder right now makes about 160 grand. And if you had your air conditioning go out in the last six months, uh, I just did. It was 400 an hour to have uh, ANC air conditioning come in. And that tech that came in didn't graduate from college. He graduated from a air conditioner repair company and makes more money than my two kids combined. So I'm, I'm saying it's not all about uh, going to four-year college. I totally agree. And it's laughable when I'll go just back in the Wayback Machine here before we go to the next section. If you didn't graduate high school and you went into trade when I was in school, it was like, oh boy, right? Yeah. He got the look. You got the look for sure. You met somebody who's like, yeah, they're taking um, shop, right? Or uh, auto mechanic. Go see the local dealership. Those guys are working mostly on computers. They're specialists. They work someplace air conditioned. They are curated they're cared for they're well paid and they walk out after 40 hours a week right like you know right. own a business <laughs> you don't walk away from anything and and so obviously you know that's real work and i i don't uh, i don't want to make it oversimplified we've really come full circle right that trade it really does have a lot of value now and i think people are coming to recognize that these skills are are incredibly important Hundred percent, and I'll tell you, I don't know what you think of AI, where it's going to start replacing, uh, you know, some of the work out there. But a lot of the tech sector is a little worried. Obviously, you see it with the strikes right now in Hollywood. Some of the, you know, the high-paying jobs uh, that have been uh, plentiful, right, are starting to look a little like they could be uh, either sh replaced and certainly uh, circumvented uh, with a lot of the AI technology. But what can't be replaced with AI is your plumbing and your electric and right. some of the things that are really, again, great opportunities for young men. I, I told my sons, you know, hey, don't be afraid of the trade. I'm not saying I want you to be a plumber, but I would love you to own a plumbing company. Um, I know a lot of really good guys that own plumbing companies and, and uh, they're not hurting at all right now. Yeah. And we've got a lot of need for it. So you're 100% right. We have a definite, uh, we need a definite change in our thinking of how education can help uh, is certainly if we're heading into a recession, uh, fill in the gaps uh, for a lot of these individuals 
that might have graduated with a liberal arts degree and have nowhere to go right now, um, you know, uh, because they got a history major, something crazy that they actually can't go out and get jobs for. And they're looking back now to the trades as an opportunity. We talk a lot about the journey here, right? From idea to enterprise. What I find so compelling about your story is the foresight. Right? You graduate your master's from the Harvard Kennedy School and endeavor into a sector and an industry that not only is very niche, it's really not that exciting in the sense of like when, when companies were starting and when you look at the trajectory of when you built this business, I think coming up on almost 20 years here soon, no one was focused on this sector of education, like no one. And you were, can you tell us about the early days? You know, I remember getting a call. My father-in-law started the very first school, uh, 20 plus years ago. And I was, again, I was, I was working in a whole different industry, uh, not in education, uh, but definitely, uh, I was a six Sigma guy at GE, you know, it was all about process improvement and, and, uh, and I, I remember going to the first graduation uh, of this school uh, and, you know, these kids and the stories were just heartbreaking. And, you know, I just I really believed in the mission and I visited the school and saw, you know, they had 12 employees at the time. Right. They had uh, they had no processes, no procedures, business. Um, it didn't look like a business. It just looked like a bunch of people trying to serve some kids, which is what they needed to do at the time. Uh, but what I did know is they wanted to scale and that they could. They were going to scale greatly because the need was there. They were serving a niche, which we all know in business, especially entrepreneurs. If you can find a niche that nobody's filling, you've got the holy grail there, right? You've got something that nobody else is willing or wanting to do or knows how to do. Uh, but if you're going to do it at scale, the only way to do it is have it systemized. You know, you want that Starbucks in Portland to taste just like the Starbucks uh, in, uh, in Florida. And, you know, one of the things that in education is really hard to do is take that kind those kinds of systems and duplicate it, uh, and the culture in each location. And we just decided we were going to put our heads down and apply a lot of what we were doing in business to these schools, to this nonprofit. And we did, we took it and we spent the first two years literally mapping out every process, things like, you know, what was successful at our first school was the fact that we didn't have closed off classrooms, an open window in the front. Uh, we did surveys of our parents. What did you like when you came in? The color of the walls, um, the window that was behind the front desk, uh, security guards that stayed behind uh, so it didn't feel unsafe when you were walking in. That, or and, and some of the basic things that you wouldn't think of in a traditional school, but for students that we serve with trauma, uh, things that immediately put them off and might make them walk right out the door because they immediately felt uncomfortable like they might have in their previous school. We just did the opposite. We systemized it. We built an entire marketing plan around it. And by the way, that's the other thing. Most schools in America don't advertise. They don't have to, right? You open up a school in your neighborhood. Everybody just knows the the new high school open up. Well, we're in malls. We're in uh, re- uh, in strip centers. We are in churches. We are in Boys and Girls Club it is very difficult for some of these kids to know we exist. So we had to develop an entire marketing plan that looked a lot different than most education companies, right? We're more like the colleges that you see on TV. We advertise on Super Bowl ads, uh, 
you name it, because these students just don't wake up one morning and know after they've dropped, you know, they're about ready to drop out of school that there's a program right down the street, ready and able to serve all their needs and ready to go. You leave a full-time job in GE Capital to join what sounds like a pretty nascent enterprise. That takes a lot. Well, you know, I, I will just say this. I, I think I tell this to my boys. If you love what you do, uh, you never work a day in your life. And uh, between GE and the, uh, the transportation company we were starting up back in the day, right before I joined this, um, I, uh, you know, our trucks uh, in the transportation company were killing people, right? We had, we had accidents once a month where some family was taken out. I was traveling at that time pretty much every day. Um, uh, not happy with what I was selling, right? What I was helping build and, and uh, the businesses that we were doing weren't giving back to society. Again, I go back to that first graduation uh, and seeing these kids whose lives would have been ruined without a high school diploma and these options that we gave them. Um, and I'll tell you, I literally just yesterday, Adam, I was at a one of our school openings in Riverside, a young uh, dad, a single dad, we asked him to stand in front of our, our couple of our board members from our authorizer there and tell them what they loved about the school because they were, were about to go to them to ask for permission for a school in their in their county in Riverside. And this dad just broke down, broke down right in front of him and said, I've put four kids through the school. I'm a single dad. I unfortunately uh, got in trouble with the law right out of, right out of high school. I have a, a felony on my record. I can't get full-time jobs. But I wanted my kids – uh, to get something better than I had. And when I had my kids, I had one that's deaf. I have one that has a learning disability. I have another uh, uh, who is just struggling with emotional issues. Uh, and my fourth one is doing just fine. But uh, I watched my kids get bullied at their school because he was wearing something over his ear. And uh, another one because, you know, he couldn't understand everything uh, that was going on in the classrooms. And when I came to this school, they treated me with respect before I earned it. The kids got, uh, you know, across the finish line. He now has a, the daughter is going to college, wants to be a neurosurgeon. I mean, I, you couldn't even imagine. This yeah. is, uh, you know, a Latino that migra- immigrated from here or to here, made it, you know, had some setbacks at the beginning, wants to change his life. And that's why I left the corporate world. This is, I get to still run a big business but I get to do it in something that literally is changing the lives of not only the, our students, but your communities, right? Because if I'm doing well and I'm selling, that means I'm selling that and, and a new school gets opened and we just took another three or 400 students off your streets uh, and getting them high school diploma and job training. We oh, entrepreneurs, right, oftentimes are using our passion to drive our professions. It's exactly what you're describing here. You you became an advocate for these kids. For me, it was education. I, I you know, no longer am a teacher, but all I do is spend time thinking about kids and education systems and tools and organizations. And what they don't see now when we build our enterprise to where we are today as a national organization is the doubt, the concerns, the questions, right? The the unknowns, you know, the, it looks a lot easier on Instagram, you know, for you, when did it all click, right? When did the momentum begin to carry your organization and, and frankly, you? 
Yeah, I think it was about year three, uh, which is, you know, it's it's pretty common in a lot of startups, right? You, those first couple of years are always the challenging side. Um, I, my biggest uh, my biggest unknown was when we were trying to duplicate, you know, our first two or three centers in uh, a, a location that was uh, further away than a drive, right? A flight away. Because uh, I had I had gone through this at at my world at GE and and some of my other businesses I've been involved with where the first location had this enormous amount of energy and um, uh, success and then you go to duplicate it in uh, another state and it fails miserably the client says this isn't what I bought I saw mm. this thing over here working way better and why don't I have that here. Well, it almost in, invariably, uh, the problem is people, right? Training and a bench. Uh, it's much easier uh, to take some key people uh, that are working well in this existing branch and have them go over and help open up the new branch. But if you don't have that, if you don't have the bench, uh, that new one is like starting from scratch again. And then like any other business, then it's almost the unknown is, is it going to be as successful uh, as the previous one? So when we were able to figure out a way to start training, like, again, applying business to this education and having people shadowing jobs, taking on multiple roles, um, and and thinking about hiring multiple mid-level managers with the idea that they might be the next uh, budding principal at one of our new centers, and that process worked, and these two new San Diego and Sacramento locations, which might have been, you know, well, might as well have been across the country uh, as they were just that far away from our headquarters, and seeing it play out exactly the way the original school played out uh, was when I knew we had something, right? And then uh, the next one was when we opened up our first out-of-state school, now a flight away. Um, and uh, and was able to do it with uh, relative success right out of the gate. Um, you know, that was when I really had the feeling like, wow, we can take this nationally, if not internationally, uh, because it, it it reminds me of a, a typical franchise, right? It, it's something where, you know, we've got the color scheme, we've got the palette, we have the facilities team, we have everything ready to open up this center that's going to save lives in this community, uh, but we needed the people. Um, yeah. I will say, with what's coming, you know, coming towards me right now, I am a little nervous back to the people again because teachers are definitely not as plentiful, um, and we are getting stretched thin. So you have that decision tree to make: Do you are you willing to open up a center that might be mediocre, um, or are you going to have to wait until it can be one hundred percent, you know, perfect? And the problem with waiting in my business. Unlike maybe a you know a, a a franchise of Burger King and Subway where you know revenue declines and that kind of thing, um, if I wait, that means lives aren't getting saved. I know that neighborhood is going to put out more homeless, more kids going into jail, and headed towards something awful. So I'm literally out there trying to raise funds uh, from from you know they're handing out money at. Uh, uh, Bloomberg and and Bill and Melinda Gates, and yet I haven't they haven't come knocking on our doors yet because they don't know about us, and and that's one of my goals. I'd love to have a a check right now that could help me go open up ten new centers and have uh, ten people on the bench ready to go open up these life changing centers in these neighborhoods. I can only say that if you're feeling the way I felt, you don't realize the momentum until 
it's almost past you. I don't know if you had that experience where I remember when it started to be easier. I don't remember when it became that we had, you know, organizations on our wait list and we had opportunities to do things that frankly at one point were just unthinkable. And I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who say they get to, they get down the road and some, for some of them, they can miss the journey, right? They, like I meet many who have sold their company only to then be pretty despondent. Like they're, they sold themselves, like they sold their mission. They sold what they were doing. And it's, it's wonderful to hear that you've, you know, you do take the time to see some of those check-ins, right? You, you have experienced that. And I think more entrepreneurs should take a lesson from there that there's something to be said about that inventory is important. Yeah. I mean, you're a hundred percent right. I, and I will just tell you, we do not just stop at schools. We've run uh, a professional print shop. Uh, one of our, uh, you know, to, to, to sell to our own schools. Uh, we closed it down cause we were putting local print shops out of business, but uh, you know, we want to start now developing potentially our own businesses as a nonprofit. I'll, I'll give an example, Homeboy Industries. Uh, Father Boyle, I met him many, many years ago. Couldn't figure out how to fund his his nonprofit to take uh, people who'd come out of the prison system and get them jobs. So what did he do? He started Homeboy and Homegirl Cafes, local restaurants here in California uh, that employ uh, these people. And, um, and he, he runs a very good restaurant that makes money. It's a regular business. He runs it as a for-profit, a uh, under his nonprofit. We took a, a page right out of that, trying to run a print shop. And now we're looking at other industries that, uh, we might be able to get into, including hair and nail salons, things that our actual students can really make a good living on and that we need in society right now and that uh, we can put these these people to work, not just with a job at McDonald's, but actually something that is a livable wage uh, in a business that they might be involved in, run and own. So we're, we're, we're headed down that road over the next decade. When you dream about Learn for Life, how yeah. big is it? What does it do? Is it more of what you're describing here? Are you seeding businesses? I mean, what what comes to mind? Yeah, I what I what I envision, right? This is my dream, is that is that a, a guy like Elon Musk um, or any major business owner right now starts to see that they can't just stop and rely on the local schools to to develop their pipeline. I want them to come to me and say, I want to put your school inside my four walls, and I got this. I got this dream about seven years ago when a solar company in San Bernardino, um, the, the owner of that, um, she, uh, she was a Chinese immigrant, started this big solar company, was struggling getting installers and staff. She saw that we put our school in this school and this place called Vocademy where they were, uh, it was like, a it was the Vocademy was a maker space, uh, in the community where you paid a, a monthly fee to go learn how to weld. So, use a CNC machine. And the guy wasn't open during the day. And I said, can I put my school in here? This would be phenomenal. I, I can put a 200 students here, pay you rent. All I ask is that you help me develop a curriculum so the kids while they're going to the school can learn welding, learn sewing, learn, learn all these things. He's like, I'm all in. He was a, a German immigrant. We put the school in there. It blew up. We had some board members from uh, uh, San Bernardino Riverside come and visit. And one of these ladies recognized it right away. She said, if you can do that here, will you be willing to put your school in one of our 10,000 square feet empty spaces? 
and I will guarantee these kids jobs if they are willing to come work for me. I'm like, we're in. We were there for about nine months until they ran out of space. Um, but what we did is we advertised right around that community. Are you interested in solar? Uh, this school's for you. And we were able to literally make a private school, public school inside an existing business. And that to me is going to be one of the futures is taking, letting businesses uh, wrap their arms around local education companies and say, I want something private, uh, yet it's still being public, right? And and I'm telling you, if you're a governor listening to this right now, and you can't wrap your arms around that idea and say, wow, that would really change the entire scope of trying to figure out why our schools are not developing the pipeline. Well, let's let business uh, help us develop that pipeline and use their funds your resources and facilities in order to accomplish that. So I call it school 2.0, it was something that was thrown out there years ago. Um, somebody actually developed the concept of business, embracing schools, putting schools in the businesses. Uh, imagine you going to work uh, at the 12th floor and down below your ninth grader is actually attending um, you know, your work uh, school on their campus. Uh, and you pick them up right after work and you're headed home. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And oh, by the way, the investment in that school pays off to that company when their graduates uh, become their future employees and, and the, the, the staff whose parents uh, who have kids in that school are happy because their kids are attending school, less turnover, more. You can imagine just the benefits of that. So that's where my brain is going right now. Um, I'm going to try and get that done this next couple of years, and I'm going to find a company who says, I want that. Tell me how to get that done, even if it's a private school, even if it's a private school, which we can do. Um, we'll just do it as a nonprofit. I love the energy, like the speed at which you were explaining this, the excitement. And I, I, it shows it's real. And, you know, we talk a lot about energy here. I think a lot about energy. We're all trading it for something. And I try to treat mine like an asset, Skip. In the sense of that, like, how do you recharge, right? Like you're building schools, you're all over the place. You're, you guys are in multiple states. I know your work. Like, what is it that people don't see? I, well, I certainly, I, first of all, I, I, I'm ADHD. You can tell I'm all over the board. <laughs> so, so for me, I pretty much never down. Uh, golf is one of my only, uh, I would say things that gets me off the grid for a few hours. And even then my phone's usually ringing, um, you know, but I, I, I got to tell you my team, we have, we have almost 3000 employees, right? So we're a fairly large organization, half yeah. a billion dollars in uh, running through our organization. It's a lot of moving parts. And since COVID, none of us have gone back. We have a, a headquarters. It's a hundred thousand square feet. I think we have 40 employees currently in it right now. Uh, we're finding ourselves more efficient, spread out. Um, and because we're national, it's made it easier for some of our out-of-state locations to have resources closer to them. Uh, but right now, we just don't have the time to stop. And um, let me tell you, it's a it's a serious problem we have with education. You know it. Everybody who's listening to this knows what's going on in their state related to education and the, the sacrifices parents are making, what they saw during COVID, right? That was another thing. What parents got to see listening to their teachers try and teach remotely and wondering what they were either paying for or not paying for uh, and wanting something different. And so this is literally sitting at our feet right now in the education space with parents finally realizing the status quo is not working and wanting to do something different. 
I'm just the entrepreneurial type that wants to create a school in a box for every single parent uh, and and uh, an area, right, and community because each one looks different. Each one has different needs. Um, but we've just been left with this 100-year-old-plus school system that if Rip Van Winkle woke up today, the only thing he would recognize would be the school system because it looks the same as it did a hundred years ago. So, you know, we got to do something different. We need more people like me, but I really want, you know, the Zuckerbergs and the whoever who've got these funds, just not thinking that it has to go to every, uh, uh, school that's sending kids to Harvard and, and uh, MIT, right? We need schools like ours that are sending kids to be welders and do the jobs that we need to to, to build this America, which is going to need a lot of help after COVID. Skip, I love it. Skip, we have all of our guests participating in what we call the Fast Four. These are going to wrap in off the top, and I'd love for it to get your opinion here. So ready? Yep. As an entrepreneur, what trends – that are emerging that interest you? AI, uh, for sure. AI is definitely a trend that's that's super interesting to me and how it affects pretty much every aspect of not only our lives, but the lives in education. One place in the world everybody needs to visit. Uh, I would definitely say Switzerland. I just got back. Uh, uh, that's most a first amazing for the city show. I've ever seen. Yeah. Wow. Greatest area of growth for you personally in the coming year? Uh, I would say, uh, definitely politics, right? I think, um, Hmm. for me to get where I need to get, um, the, unfortunately I have got to be better at managing, uh, how to get through, uh, politicians, uh, and the laws in the state, because there is absolutely no way I can expand without, uh, some very creative legislative fixes. Favorite podcast that everyone needs to be listening to. I got to say yours, but well, you know, besides, just I love I, you. everyone says that I don't, it's not intended to get that response. Um, you look, I'm a Joe Rogan guy. I really like him. Um, if for nothing else, I like a guy who, uh, I like the podcast because he's not beholden to any money. Uh, so he'll have anyone and everyone with views across the board. I just listened to JFK Jr.'s podcast on the way uh, over here, which I hadn't heard. And uh, while I don't agree with uh, literally everything the guy says, was super um, interested in the idea of how autism has now become one in a hundred from one in 10,000, you know, 15 years ago. And we're impacted by that at our schools because we serve a 22% special needs population. Mm. Uh, and that is just off the charts right now. And if you have a right now, uh, you know, um, one of your kids with autism, you know the struggles uh, that that's going to entail for the rest of your life. Um, and we need to be doing more in that space. So I was very interested in that particular podcast. Skip, thank you for your work. Thank you for an incredible episode. Really enjoyed to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Looking forward to working more in this space. Thank you for joining today's episode of Capital Class. If you're interested in joining our next discussion, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Capital Class is a venture with the Strategist Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of shows, visit strategistgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed.